up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your concert reviews, show reviews, concert photos, and so much more. And with me, as always, is Mr. Daniel Terry. How are you doing? Doing great, man. How are things up there in the Grand Rapids? I have been slaving away. Uh, we have taken... I have taken a bit of time off uh, from doing some podcasts uh, since we have so many and uh, have been focusing on work, which uh, I basically did the exact same thing I do with podcasts, which is I just overextend myself. So I'm just, you know, working from about 7 a.m. to about, you know, 10 p.m. and finding time to eat and have a home life, sort of. I hear you, brother. 100%. This episode's guest, though, speaking of uh, just tirelessly working, is uh, Chris Roeder, the vocalist for Like Mons to Flames. Uh, this was an interesting one. I We were supposed to do this in person when they were the opening support band for uh, for The Plot and You, and just didn't pan out uh, logistically, and so we ended up doing a phoner a couple of days later, and it was really interesting because... Chris is actually one of those people, like, even though it was only, like, a 20, 25-minute conversation or so, it went down some really interesting things based on me having looked at his Twitter feed, uh, where he basically put out the set list and a bunch of people were bitching about, like, oh, you're not playing this song, or why aren't you playing this song? And he's just like, look, like, we're not playing songs off that record because half of the band, over half the band, wasn't even around on that fucking, you know, on that record. And there is a lot of shit I had to go through on that record that I really don't want to fucking go through again. So no. And, you know, it was kind of interesting sort of talking firsthand with someone who's kind of about fans expectations versus the reality of being the person in the band and and what you owe people and stuff like that. And it was, I don't know. It just kind of went down some interesting rabbit holes that I I wasn't really expecting it to go down, but I'm really glad it did. Cause I think it's a really honest and eye opening look at what being in a band is like, at times where you know everyone just assumes it's all great and all that kind of stuff but there is kind of the pressures of fans expectations of what they assume that they should get from you even though they they have no i think maybe we just kind of forget that you know these are actual people who you know the art that you're hearing and the songs that you love sometimes take a lot out of the person to to create that that art and if that's the case maybe people don't want to relive the worst parts of their fucking lives over and over and over again yeah, that's the hard thing, and I'm not going to spoil everything that was said, you know, in, in the first half. But, uh, you know, the whole thing is, is that like this band has gone through so many member changes, anyway. Um, like this side of Zao, you know, as far as like <laughs> keeping keeping a consistent lineup has been really tough for them, and um, you know, and and, and me kind of dealing with a similar situation myself as of recently, it, it's uh. It's very hard when you wake up every morning being like, oh, my God, what do I got to do to keep all this together? You know, and uh, and so I, I kind of I really felt for him on that. And uh, and yeah, I totally get where he's coming from. It's like, dude, I got guys here playing and, and they don't know these old songs. And like, what do you want us to do? Play for two fucking hours every night, like a high speed metalcore show for two fucking hours. Like, you know, like and that that's the annoying thing about about fans you know fans are great fans are the reason any of us do anything right but uh you know the the expectation sometimes can be so much more ridiculous than what the reality can actually grant us i think the thing that was the most interesting about it to me was you know how often do you see you know and it's just this weird thing where you know, we have basically, we now live in this 24-hour news cycle where basically anybody with any notoriety is basically at your fingertips reach away from having a direct line to them, whether it be, so you know, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. But as such, sometimes we don't let these people just be. And it's like, the thing I think that was kind of interesting to latch onto is just kind of like, you know, it seems like no matter what you're going to do, you're going to piss a, a certain sect of your, your fan base off. And it's like, okay, like we're not playing any of these songs. Well, what the fuck? Well, dude, we just did a whole headline run like less than a couple of weeks ago, and we played most of this record. So I'm sorry, but like if you wanted to hear that, then where the fuck were you? Or if you want to hear old shit, well, then you should have come out and supported us then because it's kind of about what we're doing and moving forward. And I don't know, just like I said, it was, it was really interesting just kind of thinking and hearing someone be kind of really honest about the perspective of being in a band and, and the 
I guess just that the expectations that everyone is putting on you, whether it be your label, your family, your friends, fans, whatever, and just kind of having to deal with all of it in different facets of the band life. Yeah. And that's band life is not easy. It gets so intense, especially whenever you guys all get into a small box and go on the road. Ugh. Oh my God. Even, like I can't even imagine. Like, I mean, I've done it before, but like, it's not, it's not fun. I think the thing that's interesting too, like in the last, you know, handful of months, I've gotten to do some, some interviews on buses and so forth. And, you know, I guess if like, you've never done any kind of touring in any way, shape or form, like I'm not saying, and I, and I guarantee you'll echo this sentiment. Like I did a week long tour in a band I was in for a summer and it was sucked. Like, it was fun, but the reality of it is it sucked. We made no money. We all had to dip into our own personal bank accounts to, like, pay for gas, pay for shit, because shows weren't really well attended, and we drove all the way out from Michigan to the East Coast, and most of the dates, like, weren't even, like, nothing was happening. So it's like, all right, that sucks, and, but you do yeah. it. The promoter's like, well, I thought pizza would be okay for you guys, right? Yeah, where's that $100 we're supposed to get? Oh, well, only two people paid, and it's like, that's not, that's what a contract is for. And so you just basically in my in my in my van, you know, like yeah. So, you know, dealing with that, and then even a couple years later, booking a tour for a band that you has been on this podcast, Sun and Flesh, like doing a small week run uh, around the Midwest, and it was fun, but it was fun for a different reason because I had a week off of work where I was getting paid using my vacation time. So at least like it was financially more successful because I was in a better position in my life. But the reality was exactly the same. We're playing places that no one knew who the fuck these guys were. We were playing to nobody. And it's a bit of a struggle, especially when there's kind of some, some inner band tensions going on as well. And it just kind of reminded me, like, you get six, seven dudes cramped into a 15-passenger van, which sounds like a lot of space until you start adding backpacks and gear and all that kind of shit. And you're basically sitting right on top of one another for, you know, five, six hours at a time. And then you're at a venue or a town where you know nobody and know nothing. And it's like, that sucks. It gets really old really fucking quick, and that's not any kind of, like, glamorous life. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Not how people imagine it. Well, then it's like you, and then you know, people are like, "Oh, a bus," and it's like, "Cool." So you just have more space to do the exact same, have the exact same experiences, except for maybe you know the farts, you know, don't stay in one confined space as much. Yeah, and not only that, but you're constantly in fear of all your shit getting stolen. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Without further ado, let's uh, get to my conversation with Chris Roder of Like Moss to Flames, and we will talk to you afterwards. <laughs> I had the pleasure this early afternoon of talking with Chris Roder, vocalist for Like Moths to Flames, whose latest album, Dark Divine, is out now via Rise Records. They are continuing their tour with The Plot New uh, at a stop in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, for the internet is to be believed. Uh, how are you doing today? Not too bad, man. Uh, two days, and then we had an off day at home. Much needed, like, recoup there, especially after being off for for four months. I feel like our, our bodies are, are definitely starting to catch up with, with our age, so... <laughs> Definitely don't feel that used to blow, you know, but it's uh, it's been good to get out. I actually live here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where the tour started off with a sold-out show, and uh, wanted to say I really love the comment that you made uh, in the midst of your set. You actually were starting a song, and you were like, oh, shit, that's the wrong one. I haven't gotten used to this set list yet. And then after playing that song, you made the comment. You were like, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something to the effect of uh, usually most first days of tours kind of suck, uh, suck dick. But if this is uh, how the tour is going to go, I'll gla <laughs> gladly suck that dick. So safe to say that uh, the tour has been going so far, you know, even this early into the tour so far. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy. Obviously, I guess. There's probably a lot of people who don't know our sense of humor. Moths are we're, we're pretty sarcastic dudes, so uh, it's pretty easy to be like you know self-deprecating when you know it's when when the time is right, I guess. But um, yeah, most times you know you'll you'll start a tour, you'll get out there, 
guitar players got their cables broken. My mic cable doesn't work. My in-ears don't work. Our bass pedals are broken. Something's wrong with the drums. Like, kind of like that never-ending, like, Pandora's box feel. But luckily, I think for everybody, this was like the first... We've been touring for almost 10 years. And this was the first time we've started a tour, and it's been like, wow, okay, that was sick for everybody. And uh, I think given that, like, we just we just went through a number change. Like, our, our, uh, like our, like our full-time trainer just stepped down uh, to pursue, like, other ventures with business. So we have a fill-in who came in, and he's just been absolutely smashing it. So you can imagine our worry uh, on the backside of things being like, oh, my God, this could be a, a disaster. And we got the exact opposite of that. So Yeah, it was a... Uh... It's kind of interesting, like, in the last, like, handful of in-person interviews, because I did one with uh, Landon that day, in spite of all that, you know, that show made me feel really old. Uh, I'm about ready to turn 35 <laughs> here in uh, in a couple of months, and people were buying drinks and having a good time, and I kept looking around, and I was like, are you old, are half of you old enough to even be drinking yeah. at this point, and shit like that, and, you know, I know from, you know, being as old as I am, I know obviously you've been in some of the band, Amorosa, uh, bands that have been around for a while. And so it was just kind of interesting to look around and be like, wow, you know, like I know you guys as like Moss and Flames have been around for, for a bit and have had quite a bit of success. You've been doing that headlining run you did, uh, with Phineas and so forth. And it was just one of those things that like looking around, I was like, you know, a lot of people and even on this podcast have kind of made comments that like rock and heavier music is kind of dying out and so forth. And, it was just kind of really great to, to see a room full of people sold out, a uh, room full of people, and even just kind of thinking, you know, back when I was in my late teens, early 20s, that's kind of what every show I would go to looked like. So I, I don't necessarily know that I agree with everyone when they say that, and I think going into a room like that and seeing people having fun, interacting with each other, making new friends and so forth, it just kind of was a, a small reminder of what what heavier music kind of can be and what going to a, see a live experience like that is all about. I. I kind of uh, agree with you in the sense of just like, I think maybe I like to stay a, a little more naive to it and not really acknowledge the fact that like maybe something that I've invested over half my life into isn't like a dying thing. So I think the the thing that's really cool about us and plot is our band wouldn't exist without outland and our bands have kind of grown equal to each other throughout the course of their career, whether you know, I feel like we were always releasing records within like eight months of each other, always kind of like gassing the other one up, trying to make sure that like they're, they're our best friends as far as like a band goes, you know, band, bands have that, that vibe and that's what it is for us. So I feel like bands, not even bands, but, but like the general showgoers coming out to these shows knows the history of the band, knows that neither one of our bands is going to be like, some like egotistical maniac like we're all pretty down to earth we know exactly what like I, I guess what we're getting into you know we know that we shouldn't be playing 1500 cap rooms when we could pack out a, a three or 400 cap room and provide a very intimate show and uh i, I feel like the fact that us and plot are two very easy and down-to-earth bands definitely makes it so it's easier for like the general show to see that but then even going back to like the Oceans and Phineas tour that we did um, back in December, it's like, I, I feel like there's kind of like a resurgence. People are understanding that uh, music is a very good form of release for people. So it's like, you know, if you're having a shitty week, Monday to Thursday, and you know, you've got a show Friday, it's like, fuck it, I'll muster through this, this the mundaneness of my week to get to Friday to like let loose and hang out. And I feel like, at least for us, that's something that we like to keep intact, you know, with like the sense of humor on stage. It's not all like, here's our lights, here's our sound. This is how, this is our show. It's like, no, nah, we're just dudes that enjoy playing music that just want to have fun and provide a good experience for people. So I think uh, definitely easier said than done with, uh, you know, getting people out to shows and stuff like that. But um, I think in plot and my like mod's favor um we've we came out in a very oversaturated time and i think we've sustained through that time to the point where now we kind of have solidified fan bases and it makes it easier when a lot of those fans are crossover fans to where 
it's like, oh shit, I've seen you at a plot show when they toured together, you know, three years ago. Let's get a drink together. So it's kind of like this like communal thing. Um, so I, I don't know. For us, that's a cool, that's a cool thing to be able to to provide a, a community for people to be able to kind of like be themselves. Not to sound cliche because that's why we do it, but to be able to be, I turned 30 in June to look back and see kind of like, I don't want to say legacy because Moths isn't like a legacy by any means, but I know there were people who thought that band wouldn't make it past album one. So here we are planning album five. It's like, all right, well now how can we just kind of like keep the snowball effect going? So for us to be able to get even like those opportunities, it's very like inspiring for us to know that we can come out 10 years later almost start a sold out or a, a show or a, a tour with a sold out show. You know what I mean? That, that doesn't happen very often. So. Yeah. Something I had actually kind of talked to Landon about and I'll, I'll pose it to you because, you know, and I'm glad you actually kind of brought up the, the similarities between the two of you guys or two bands, at least, you know, with a uh, plot news latest record, they kind of took a, a shift in sound and I would say dark divine kind of equally, went a little more experimenting with what the sound of Like Moths to Flame is. And obviously I know that, that a huge part of that is the the lineup change you kind of talked about already. And, you know, something that I had asked Landon was, how hard is it creating a set list, especially for a headliner like they're currently on, when some of the older songs maybe don't fit with each other as well? And upon looking at your Twitter feed, kind of in gearing up for our interview over the last week or so, I had seen that you had posted basically the tour set list. And, you know, reading the comments from a lot of the fans and something that kind of it struck out to me were two things. Um, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, why aren't you playing more Dark Divine stuff? And you had basically were like, well, we already did a headline run on that album. So there was that. If you want to hear more, go to that. This is kind of a, a broader spectrum of what the band has been and done over its career. And it kind of got me thinking, you know, I know a lot of bands tend to put an emphasis on, on pushing the new record. And I, I think it's safe to assume that basically you're on the end of the, the Dark Divine album cycle. And so it kind of made me wonder, does doing a run like this kind of, you don't have to push a record because you're pretty much done supporting it. So now you kind of get to just throw together whatever you want to, because now it's about celebrating the band as a whole, not just a record. Um, I, yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the, the, the nail on the head with it. I feel like for us, it's kind of like a culmination of everything that we've done, and that's what brings us here. When when I look at my lineup and see that Aaron is the only OG member, he's the only dude that I started the band with that's still here, it's like, you know, in the past, it was like, yeah, I don't want to play any old stuff because we're bringing in new people, but now it's like we're bringing in people who enjoyed the band throughout the, the time of the band. Not, you know, they're, they're not, like you know, crazed fans. They're just friends that we've known for a long time. They've grown up in our scene and, uh, you know, like peer bands and stuff like that. So it's it's like a weird thing playing what you're expected to play versus what you want to play as an artist. And I feel like for, for us, this is the first time where, you know, we're playing a song called My Own Personal Hell, a song called Feast of Crows, both from the second album, but they're both songs that we've never really played before but they're personal favorites of ours. I think it's it's one of those things where we owe it to our fans to provide them like an experience outside of what would be expected. You know, do do we want to play the, you know, the solid songs on Dark Divine that maybe explore different elements? Yes. But does it make sense in a 40-minute set when, like, when Plot's going to come and cover that dynamic? I'm not trying to, like, steal the the you know like spotlight from them and saying that we would but if we're coming out and like exploring all these weird genres and stuff like i feel like we're kind of missing the point when we can come out and just play what we want come in do our job well for plot warm up the crowd and let them like steal the show you know what i mean i, I feel like that might not be the best thought process but like like i said earlier like plot is one band that i'm always going to root for so if that means like us maybe moving some stuff around so that we like versus what you would expect, I don't know if that's like if that's weird or if it's selfish for us, but I would much rather somebody come out and be like, Wow, I've not heard that song and you guys like you look like you were having like a ton of fun. Granted, those conversations don't happen too often. Most times it's like Oh man, I can't believe you didn't play empty the same. Good set though. It's like, well, thank you for the backhanded compliment. 
I'm glad that out of the, the nine songs that we played, you couldn't enjoy it because we didn't play your, your song. It's like, I think it's even like going, going back to like, people want us to, to throw in like our cover. It's like, you want us to play a cover over 50 plus original songs? Like, and then you don't understand why we get like irked out about it when, when people are like, oh, why don't you play some nights to play this? It's like, do you really want me to choose that song over something that like actually holds meaning to the band? Like, so it's just like this weird, weird thing. And admittedly, it's something that like, so I posted that because I was just annoyed. When I was a kid, man, 10, 10, 15 years ago going to shows, I had a flip phone. There wasn't internet on it. And I didn't like, there, there wasn't the accessibility of having like a set list to where you can be like, eh, I don't like what they're playing. I'm not going to go see them. It's just like, so we post a set list to try to please people. And then, you know, like you said, it's like, well, why, why are you guys playing this? It's like, what, like at what point does, does it just stop? And it's like, okay, cool. Like I'm stoked. Granted, there were like, you know, 90% of the people were like, oh my God, you're playing songs that we've never really heard. But then there were those people. I don't know why negative stuff tends to like shine. I think that's just how we are as a society. It's like, oh man, some guy he doesn't like me. I'm instantly rattled by it. But like, it's so crazy that people want to just pick and pick and choose what they're, what they're happy about. It's like, just accept that we're like giving you the set list. Great. It's not that huge of a thing, but like, we don't, we normally don't post that stuff. So just accept that we're trying to like keep you included and like let it be what it is. So for me, it's really hard to, to come around to that understanding. Like, bro, under oath, my favorite band growing up, I didn't have Spencer's Twitter. I couldn't be like, oh man, you, you, you freaking sucked tonight, dude. You, you played so bad. It's like, no, I just was like, dude, maybe under oath didn't kill it tonight. I'm going to go see them next time they come around. It's just like, there's a lot of ways you could go about doing things that get your point across that aren't like defeating to the, to the person that you're, you know, like speaking to. So I think people tend to forget that. I think it's funny because like one of my favorite bands is Every Time I Die. And if you've ever seen that band live, there's no words to needed as to why that is. But the thing that was always kind of interesting to me and sort of piggybacking off of what you were saying, pretty much see them every time they come to Michigan or nearby if I can. And I think I'm almost at 40 plus times of seeing them. And a lot of people are like, why do you need to see a band that many times? And I go, well, first of all, they don't really stick to a set list. I was like, and I can't tell you how many times, arguably one of their biggest songs at the time, which was The New Black, there was like three tours I saw where I, they didn't play it, but they played something off of a hot damn that hadn't been played in fucking forever. And it was like, okay, that's tight. And so it's like, am I bummed? A little bit. But you know what? I'll either hear that song again, or I've already heard it a bunch. So it's not that big of a deal. And I, I don't know if that's an age thing or just this thing where people are so hard-pressed to ex expect everything that they want because that's how the internet has made everything which is tailored made to exactly what you want and if you don't like it then well now i have the the platform to bitch yeah i, I think that the age thing definitely has something to do with it so for, for me at least so Mott's demographic is pretty much maintained from uh, we'll say 18 to you know, 25 30 years old uh maybe you know some beyond but like for the most part our fan base has stayed the same age and we've aged. So you see this, like, I mean, we call it the entitlement age. So like a kid comes and he's like, you didn't play empty the same. I want to hear empty the same. I'm mad. I don't like your band anymore. It's like, dude, how old are you? Like we are literally in the same tier of age. And I can never imagine doing that to somebody. Like I saw AFI, uh, with Circa like a couple summers ago. And I wanted to hear them play leaving song so bad. So they get to the encore and they don't play leaving song. And I was so mad, but I didn't like, I was just mad to my wife. I was like, fuck, I can't believe I didn't play this song. Like that sucks. That's what I wanted to hear. I didn't jump to the internet and hit up fucking Daisy and be like, yo, dude, you suck. I can't believe you didn't play the shit I wanted to hear. And it's like, that's the society we live in to where like, so in your case, if somebody doesn't like what we're speaking about on the podcast, instead of being like, oh, I learned some insightful information. It's like, oh man, this wasn't what I wanted to, these aren't the questions I wanted to hear. It's just like, you're gaining knowledge on something that you didn't have any insight in on before. Like, is that not enough? So it's like this weird thing of constantly feeling like we can't provide enough for the fans, but are also trying to do ourselves a justice and 
I definitely think it's just as like a uh, result of us getting old because I think we, we like experience society out in tour and working and stuff like that. Like, so you, you kind of like experience all these different cultures that are packed into the same culture. So you're meeting all these different, like, like Midwest kids are entirely different than kids in the South or kids in the Northeast, but they all still have like the same like tendencies, I guess. So it's like, you really, you really can't, escape it so for us it's just kind of how to like how to be proactive about you know if if people are mad about you know so we'll get people being like hey you guys have played the same songs forever so our thought process is like okay well let's learn a couple new songs that we haven't played so we learn a couple new songs that we haven't played and it's like well why aren't you playing the songs that you just played on the headliner well we're playing the same cities that we just played on the headliner in december four months ago it's like are the people that are, like, I feel like people oftentimes don't even ask or, or think about what they're asking. They just ask so they can be like, Oh, I got a response from somebody. Cool. Like it's definitely weird. Music is in a weird spot right now for sure. But I also, I don't know if that's kind of, you know, goes linear with what you're saying. If it's just cause I'm getting old and times are constantly changing, you know? So, well, I mean, the other thing too about that tweet that I was kind of interesting, and, and I didn't necessarily—I don't necessarily want to dive into the, the the real meat and potatoes of of your reply, but just I wanted to touch on this for just a second. You know, you had said also when people were complaining about how you're not doing anything off of the dying things we live for, uh, you had stated that basically the band wasn't into it, and and a lot of other ancillary factors, and it kind of made me wonder because I I kept seeing this sentiment echoed uh from a few different fans um you know it just kind of made me wonder in spite of what it took to make that record from your perspective and, and obviously understanding why you don't really want to rehash it night in and night out is it at least nice to know that in spite of all of that that there are still fans that really that that record really holds a special place for them i think so especially given the stance that i said at with the record like and it's like it's one of those things that's hard is like i never expect anybody to know my personal circumstances because I'm not vocal about them, but it's like, it, it just got to the point where so many people are prying. It's like, just understand that as an artist, that it's kind of like at some point it becomes hard to create this stuff. For me, I want to write from a place where I'm vulnerable at all times. So that when I talk about those songs or when I do play those songs, it's very hard to play or you can, ca you can capture that energy that I was trying to put into the song with like the imagery that I painted with the words. So for us, I thought I was doing right by myself for that record. And it ends up being this thing where it's actually very painful for me to relive. And not, a lot, not just that. It's like, it's, it's very hard when I don't really know how to, how to put it into comparison with anything. But like I said in that tweet, that was the band's least successful record. It was really hard for us to get tours. It was really hard for us to get like more push behind that record. It was really hard for us to get really any love. So like, I, I guess going back to answer your question, the fact that that album does resonate with people kind of gives me like a silver lining to the whole situation because prior to that, I just was kind of like, fuck this record. But at the same time, it's like, I'm glad it did something for you. Just please understand that it did something for me different. I don't know. It's a, it's a very weird like line to walk because in the same breath, it's my own fault because I wrote it. I wrote it that way. But looking back, you know, four or five years, six years when we were writing that record, it made sense because that's what I was experiencing at the time. Now I've had years to experience life away from those situations. And I've learned that it's not all, you know, bullshit and, Granted, we still write about a lot of the same content. I'm going through a lot of the same stuff continually through different relationships and asset like areas, aspects in our life. So um, it's I'm I'm like a very hard on this lead kind of person. So when when I say something and people don't necessarily agree with it, I'm already like at six out of ten. I'm already like okay, you're kind of annoying me here. Just like leave it as it is. But in the same breath, I'm really glad that people feel brave enough to be like, okay, I get that you don't like it, but I want you to know that it did something for me. So it's it's definitely a double-edged sword. Um, that doesn't mean that we're going to play any of that stuff because I do feel 
like my feet are planted in the ground with that. You know, it's not something that I feel like even represents what the band, like what, like it's not even close to, to what the best we can do is. So it's hard to like sacrifice when we only have nine songs to be like, all right, let's take out a song that we really enjoy. So I will say like, let's take out like Peace for Crows or GNF for, you know, a song from the dying things we live for. And then people are just like, well, why do you play GNF? It's like, it's, it's never going to stop. So it's like, how can we just kind of have fun with it? And, you know, going back full circle to the beginning of the conversation, that's why we picked the set that we did is like, how can we come out and have fun, jam pack some singles into the set with some stuff that maybe kids have been listening to for a while and put some Dark Divine songs back into the vault because we just played a tour where we were playing primarily songs from Dark Divine. So it's it's one of those things where you definitely just got to use your head for it. You know, you think, think as a human uh, what what you would do in that situation. Do I want to keep playing We Won't Be Missed after 10 years of that song? Uh, Aaron and I have probably played that song close to a thousand times live. It's still fun. But I would love to, you know, potentially swap that out for, you know, something else. Kind of like what you said, like with with Etid, it's kind of like cool. That band, it, it seems like they they like get off on knowing that they can do whatever they want and whatever they do is going to piss somebody off and they don't care. See, like look at this stuff. Like I think it was Andy. Like some kid comes on and he's like selfieing with him. He literally karate kicks the dude's phone out of his hand. And you'd think the whole internet's going to be in an uproar and everyone's like, fuck it, man, it's you kid. You should know what you're getting into. It's cool that they have that, like, if you, you, if you don't know what you're getting into by now, shame on you type vibe. And I don't know, it's, def- it's definitely in- inspiring to see because I'm just the type of dude who, like I said, negative stuff resonates with me just because I wear, like, I wear the band on my sleeve. The, the band is a huge it's not all of like my identity. So when people are like, I don't like this, it's like, well, at that point you're just saying that you don't like me. So, and I know people don't see it like that, but. Let's say just cause the internet is what it is. It was actually Jordan who kicked the phone out of that kid's hand and then later took a selfie with him. And it was Keith who uh, knocked the hand, the person trying to take a selfie with him as well. Uh, <laughs> okay, and, okay. Andy, would, Andy would probably just shoot you the dirtiest shitty look, but wouldn't do anything about it. Cause he's way too nice. <laughs> yeah honestly they're they were one of the, like we did a tour with them back in march they were one of the most intimidating but wholehearted wholesome groups of humans like i'm i'm kind of like in the same boat Etid is like they kind of like pioneered a lot of like that weird dirty southern metal like the, the whole like mailing and like norma jean like that's kind of where I remember them coming from. I remember hearing Hot Bam, and I think that, what, that's the record? Whatever record where he's like, he says, Cunt. I'm just like, bro, that is like the most top-notch fucking, like, as a, as a kid, I was just like, oh my God, I know I'm not supposed to hear that right now, but I just heard that. And that, like, resonated with me forever. So to be able to tour with them and see, like, and shit, I was in high school, so I was probably 13, literally 15 years later to see them have that same energy is like, it's very inspiring. Cause you know, they've been doing it in like a van. They're like the OG grinders. So everybody's always like, why don't you guys tour in a bus? It's like, dude, each has been touring in a van for like 20 years. We'll stay in a van. We're good. Like, uh, it's cool to learn lessons from dudes like that. Kind of like live vicariously through them. You know what I mean? So, my uh, last two questions, and it's kind of just a double parter, just to, to kind of make it easier. So, obviously, seeing a band like Every Time I Die, who has been uncompromising in how they approach th- the band as far as every every aspect of it, you know, them they as people, they as their their art and their music and so forth, and kind of the unwillingness to even take the easy route and maybe like get a bus or something, but just constantly grinding it out. Do you envision Plot and you being around, you know, maybe another 10 years from now and kind of being in, being that band for other people uh, where you're kind of the inspiration and maybe people who are seeing you at, at 14, 15 years old 
maybe getting to open for you or do a tour with you, you know, down the road and being like, man, you guys were the ones that kind of instilled in me that I want to do this and kind of do it in such an un uncompromising way. And on the flip side of that, since this record cycle or tour cycle is basically coming to an end for Dark Divine, what do you have coming up for the next, presumably the next record? Um, I can answer that for you. You might have to ask me the first part again. But this is actually the first time that the band's been doing like uh, adequate demos. Like we would do like, oh man, check out this riff with these shitty drums. Like we actually paid our own money, went and did some demos. Um, so we're actually taking the writing process very seriously this time. We're actually not um, on the eyes anymore. This is the first time that we uh, are going to be doing, like, not something on our own. We're just in between right now. Just kind of, uh, I think, given, like, you know, what, what I'd said about, about dying things, how we feel about the, the last few releases is just an extension of that, unfortunately, where... Um, I guess I don't, I don't want to get into it or really like, I'm not trying to like blow up anybody's spot, but I just personally feel like we were kind of backburned a little bit. I feel like we were a really easy band to please because we do a lot of things ourselves. So it's like, you know, when we ask for minimal things, that was us getting help. And instead of it actually helping the band, it was kind of just like, well, here's us giving you aid and that's it. So I think for us, it's kind of lit a fire to be the best that we can be. And having having new members definitely makes it easier, man. I don't even, like, people would think, like, dude, Moss has had seven or eight members. How, is it hard? It's like, no, because people keep leaving that made it hard. And then we bring in people who are, like, ambitious about the band, who want to grind and, like, right it's like dude I, oh, I loved your band like i i can write some stuff in this way and it's almost like let me prove my my worth type thing and the, the dudes have gone way beyond that like um i'd say the last three records we've gone in a cumulative probably 10 demos and each of those records we did 10 11 songs on so this time around we're not even planning to do a record and we've already got seven eight songs written three of them are like professionally recorded they've got production they've got like the like, kind of like ear candy you know it's they're like properly engineered not just us doing them uh in our garage so it's like kind of us just making sure that we've got like the ammunition for you know when we do start speaking to labels when we do kind of start letting the band like figure out where the band's going to go what we're going to do after this tour this is like you, like you kind of said earlier this is kind of the end of Dark Divine for us. You know, obviously given that we're playing songs six to seven years old on this tour, we'll still play those songs, but for the most part, it's it's time for us to start moving forward. Um, but then to answer the earlier question, um, that's honestly something that has kind of kept me doing it. There's been a lot of times, especially with all the member changes where I'm just like, dude, I'm over it. Like I'm burnt out. I'm tired. I don't, you know, I don't want to do it anymore. But I, like, I get in my head, it's like, well, if I leave, then all these other people are out of job. They're kind of out, you know, something that, that keeps them preoccupied, you know. And uh, so I've always, like, you know, just sucked it up and mustered through it. And getting to hear those stories of, of even, like, the people being like, Yo, you know, dying things changed my life. It got me through these dark times. It, it kind of, like, solidifies that we've done something right. Um, success is a very subjective thing and numbers are very they're like the forefront of what I, I feel like a lot of bands look at so even when you know like if I were to look at like plot I know their monthly listeners on Spotify are more than us so for, for me like old me would see that and be like we're not doing enough for people or I'm not doing enough as an artist but I forget that it's just like a time thing you know like it's just because I'm not helping somebody and they're not being like immediately vocal about it doesn't mean that someone's not being helped. So getting those people that come up and they're like, you know, like I, like I worked Monday to Thursday. I really needed this Friday. Like you guys saved my weekend. I can't wait to, you know, use this motivation moving forward. That for me is like, okay, someone's getting something from this. I didn't waste my whole day showing up to Grand Rapids, Michigan, 
play a show, to leave the comfort of my home, my wife, the things that I love, to, you know, to to face, like, the discomforts of tour, it, it really makes it worth it. You know, people people will always, will always ask, like, why do you keep doing it? It's like getting that. That's why I do the merch. That's why we do things very, like, close-knit to the band themselves because I feel like having an accessibility of an artist to the, just the general music listener or music fan or just somebody who's even at a show and they've never seen your band. It's like, holy cow, I just watched you on stage and you're here selling me a t-shirt. That's cool. There's there's not this disconnect of like, oh, where are they? Are they are they back on their bus? Are they like, are they too much of a rock star for me to talk to? It's like, no, because we try to like provide like, like this humanistic feeling to where I like to be very tangible. I like for people to, to be able to feel like I'm an accessible person for, you know, if they want to come up and say that they support the band, they're going out of their, out of their comfort zone. I should be there to be able to reciprocate that same energy. So that's something that I've tried to keep very prominent in, in my thought process is like, I wouldn't be here if there wasn't a fandom around the band. So a, a lot of it for me is hearing those stories that does keep me going. And yeah, I'll be pissy about the records because they didn't do well for the band, but I'm still very understanding that those songs did something for people and they have helped people in ways that they might not have helped me. And that's where I'm just starting to, to become like as an adult with it, I guess it's hard when the the job is for the, the music to be critiqued to be like the over analytical thought process that I have just like, I, like I, like I said, I, when I see negative shit, it just spawns into this thing where like now I can only see negative shit in midst of comments. So it's like, then I'll go out of my way and be like, you know, like yesterday it was a really bad Twitter day for me. Everything, everybody was saying, I was getting under my skin. So that's why, you know, I finally, got to the point where I was like, listen, dying things wasn't successful. We had number changes. You know, there, there was a, uh, kind of like a, you know, bullet list of why we didn't do it. I, sometimes I get to that point where I feel like I just need to like break, but uh, you know, I, I'm learning as any, as any human, uh, would, I, I think, uh, it's just for sure a learning process, but it's one that at the end of the day, you know, but two days later, I can look at that and kind of laugh about it. it is, you know, it is, it is, it is a little humorous, but at the same time, when I'm in the moment, it's really easy for me to like get lost in myself. So having those conversations with people is very grounding. It's like humbling isn't the right word. I, I it is very humbling, but in, in like a different way. So, well, I I guess that's uh, as good as any really to kind of to end this this chat. Um, I know it went a little bit beyond what uh, we had originally thought uh, to, but uh, really enjoyed your your honesty and sincerity in, in answering the questions. I was a little bit nervous about asking you know the thing about the the record itself. Um, oh, you're good. You I just I appreciate you giving giving me your time. You know, sometimes uh, I I think we got a little anxious too, like the interviewee or you know. Uh, because, you know, obviously I, I want to be as transparent as possible. So I think we like anticipate things. So the fact that, you know, you can, you know, somewhat knowledge and it's not just like, where'd you get your band name? Or, you know, like, it's just like stuff like that doesn't, it doesn't provide anything for anybody who's going to listen. So it's, it's cool knowing that it's like, I, I kind of gets to the core in pretty quick. So uh, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, and uh, where can people find you and or the band to keep up with everything uh, in the interim of uh, the next album coming out or once this tour is done? Uh, typical, like, Twitter, Instagram. The handle is just backslash LMTF. Really easy to find. We try to streamline it all. Streamline it all. So it's easy for you guys to uh, kind of seamlessly find the accounts. So. Awesome. Well, enjoy the, the rest of the tour. Hopefully, it looks like the last couple of days after Grand Rapids were equally as uh, rambunctious, so hopefully the rest of the tour stays that way. Yeah. And, uh, looking forward to whatever's next from Like Moths to Flames. I appreciate you very much, Bob. So that was my conversation with Chris Roder of Like Moths to Flames. Um, gotta say, you know, it was kind of nice actually getting to do this interview 
after seeing the band a couple of days before, I think one of the things, and I don't think I've really ever seen someone so honestly address this, you know, when Chris flubbed uh, the song in the set, like, he's like, oh, this is this song, we're going to take you back to this time, and, you know, he had his, like, kind of pre-planned thing, and then he was just like, fuck, I haven't learned this set yet, uh, so actually, this is this song, and then when that song was done, he's like, okay, remember everything I was just saying before? Okay, so, yeah, let me take you back to, uh, you know, it was just kind of cool to see that sincerity and honesty and, and transparency uh, in basically admitting, like, I haven't learned this set after we just got done doing a headlining run. <laughs> right, that's hilarious. Oh, my God, yeah, I, I laughed. I spit some soda out during that one. I was like, I mean, like, I've almost been there before. I've never fucked up that bad, but... Um, and if, if I did, it would not have been in front of as many people. Uh, so <laughs> consolation in that, um, the thing that I took out of the interview that was the most interesting, that was the most interesting thing to me was that how he was like, yeah, I just feel like, you know, as far as labels turn, we're just like a back burner band. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, but he sounded like genuinely sad when he said it. Like, I was like, shit, like that's horrible that that's one of the worst feelings that bands get in and it happens to more bands than you think where they're just like almost an afterthought we're like oh shit yeah i guess we need to like get you guys on a tour or something or oh your album just dropped i guess we should put some promotion into that it's like oh fuck you know like uh wow like and that that was that was very heartbreaking to hear and just how sad he said it he was just like yeah we're just kind of like a back burner band and I was like, oh, my God. And it's like, but it was almost like like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, kind of like, but that's my lot in life. Yeah, afterwards. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> like that sucks. Well, I mean, I guess how could it how could you not feel like that if that is the way that you've been treated time and time again? And I think that was kind of the interesting part about him admitting that, you know, they didn't resign to the, the label is the fact that. You know, it's one of those, you see a lot of bands, like, you know, they there's a lot of misconception about a band getting dropped or why they leave a label. You know, like, there might be labels like Victory Records or whatever that have a, a history of having issues with bands uh, as far as financials and contracts and so forth and, and whatever. And there's, there's a lot to the music industry. And that's kind of why I like talking about, you know, and asking the same questions to everybody because everybody can have a completely different experience and they're all right because... It's that person's experience. If you were to ask someone from a day to remember, you know, what their experience is like, you know, being on a label, I'm sure after settling that lawsuit and all that kind of stuff, you can, you'd probably get a lot from them that you may not get from somebody else. Or, you know, you hear someone like Chris talk about how it's really tough being a backburner band and, you know, you do this well and people assume that the other bands that they are counting on to do better don't pan out, but yet here they still are. And then it's like, well, haven't we proven time and time again that we're fucking worth your time and effort? And, you know, I think the interesting thing is, and something we've kind of talked about for a while, I mean, you know, we've we've talked about the EPs versus uh, full lengths quite a bit, and we'll continue to do so because I think it's an interesting topic to, to really go down, especially with Dan and I both being like vinyl collectors and so forth. Like, there's a lot of interesting things at stake depending on how things shift. With that being said, it also is interesting that we're kind of in a day and age now where it seems like a lot of bands can kind of do what they want. Like, look at, a, a, you know, Protest the Hero is a great example. They did a Patreon thing for a while where if you wanted the new music they were putting out, you had to sign up for that. And that was the only way to get it. Yep. And it sucked because we're used to getting all of our shit for free or we're used to paying a fee every month to get unlisted. But, you know... At the same time, these guys have got to keep, like, if you appreciate what they do, you have to, like, financially appreciate what they do, you know? And I think that's, a band like Like Moss to Flames, I think, is in an interesting point in their career where I think they definitely have built up a lot of credibility and fan base and, and work ethic uh, to prove to a label that they should be invested in. However, it might also be a thing where maybe this is where the band kind of knows more of what they should do and how to do it and kind of di directly tap into their fan base and give them what they want. Um, that I don't know. I, I think we're just in a really interesting point in music as a whole where does the traditional structure of labels and radio and singles and albums and digital media or physical media and all that kind of stuff like what what is the correct way to do something and i think we're kind of in this nice wild wild west where it's like it there's not one uniform thing that works 
what works for you may not work for me, but what works for me might be a deviation of what you're doing that somebody else can then piggyback off of. And, and I think there's just a lot of interesting things that bands can do. And so it kind of really makes me excited to see lyrically what this will inspire from Chris lyrically and also the band who kind of is at a, a crossroads, like I said, of, of what they're going to do with their career. So, I mean, this is very much a band that I'm looking forward to seeing what happens from here. Only time will tell. Depends on which road they decide to go down, but uh, I will always say that the independent route is way better. You are not your money exchange hands exchanges hands with the people you want it to, and there's no middlemen involved. It's really the best way to go, in my opinion. And speaking of the best way to go, we are going to wrap up this episode as we always do by plugging a ton of socials. So if you would like to keep up with Like Moths to Flames, you can find them on Facebook at Like Moths, Instagram and Twitter are LMTF. And if you would like to follow Chris, you can find him on Instagram and Twitter at C Rotter, C R O E T T E R. And uh, yeah, I don't really know if they have any touring in in mind uh, at this point since they kind of just wrapped up a, a long tour but keep up with what they're doing and uh go see them they put on a great live show and it's a lot of fun and and uh obviously if you like this band this is going to be important from now here on out probably just go see them and support them um if you would like to keep up with metal nexus you can find them at metalnexus.net, facebook at metal nexus instagram at metal.nexus and twitter at metal underscore nexus and dan where can people find you uh, you can find me on Facebook under Daniel Terry. You can find me on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. And you can find my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, you can find us simply enough on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BruceSpeakPod. Email us at BrutallySpeaking at gmail.com. And if you would like to become a show sponsor, you can email us there and let us know, and we can work things out. And speaking of show sponsors, our show sponsor this episode is The Bean Bastard. You can find them at TheBeanBastard.com. Facebook and Instagram is at TheBeanBastard. And for The Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time.